1: This is Cruise Radio. Those hurricanes are brewing out there. Don't forget travel insurance. Get a quote today at TripInsurance.com.
2: Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida.
1: This
2: is Cruise Cruise Radio.
1: Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of MSC Seaside today. Also, Action News meteorologist Greg D. stops by to answer some questions about cruising during hurricane season. Richard Sims is standing by with Cruise News. Before we get to Richard, I wanted to catch up with Matt Hochberg from Royal Caribbean Blog because there is a Royal Caribbean ship that is seeking shelter in Florida because of Hurricane Florence right now.
2: Hey, Doug, after a pretty quiet start to the 2018 hurricane season here in the Atlantic, uh, things have picked up with Grandeur of the Seas. It's the so far the only Royal Caribbean ship to be affected by a storm this year. And Hurricane Florence caused Grandeur's itinerary to be changed not once but twice. Initially, she was supposed to do it just a five-night cruise from Baltimore, Maryland, going to Bermuda. And when Florence was a uh, hurricane the first time and was considered to be quite a sizable storm, Royal Caribbean took the preemptive measure of moving the ship ...down to the Bahamas, and instead of doing uh, a stay in Bermuda, she was going to do an overnight stay in Nassau, Bahamas... ...to just, you know, basically steer well clear of the path. Well, as it turned out, uh, not only is Florence a big storm, but she's also going to be still coming right in on that area... ...and really blocking the return of Grandeur of the Sea. So as a result, uh, Grand of the Sea's uh, current sailing has been extended... ...I don't want to say indefinitely, but at least for a couple days. Basically, she's in Nassau... And then she's going to go spend the rest of her time in uh, Port Canaveral, Florida, where she'll wait out the storm. Rokerman thinks that she'll arrive back in Baltimore no later than Sunday, September 16th, maybe even a day earlier on, the, on that Saturday. But as a result, there was a scheduled Grandeur of the Sea sailing for September 13th, and that one is being finalized pending the return of the ship to Baltimore. It's all going to depend basically when Grandeur can get back from her current sailing, and they're kind of going to play it by ear it's one of those kind of things that you know it just depends on a variety of different factors and uh you know both the weather infrastructure uh, and of course the safety because after all this change was made uh, definitely because of the safety of the of the crew the ship and most of all of the guests
1: thanks matt you can check him out at royalcaribbeanblog.com for up-to-date information good stuff over there all right richard sims is here with cruise news hey richard hey doug thanks for having me so carnival cruise line announced a little price hike in their steakhouse
3: Yeah, and little really is the crucial word here. It's a $3 change. It's going up to $38 from $35. And, you know, it's really not a big deal. But of course, there are always going to be people who complain about any hike. And I suppose, you know, if you're doing a party of four, you know, then it becomes, I have to do the math here, $12. So, you know, it does add up over time. And there are the people who say every time you, you know, add a new expense, it's it's yet another nickel and dime. But Really, $3 for a steakhouse meal, uh, not a big deal. To me, the real news that came out of this was that after all the complaints they got when the new menu was rolled out, they are bringing the cheesecake back because, you know, the cheesecake is the main attraction. Well, aside from the steak.
1: Well, maybe the escargot will be next because they took that away, too.
3: Yeah, and I understand that someone I know named Doug Parker has filed a very strongly worded complaint about the lack of escargot.
1: Yeah, we have the change.org thing going right now. Um, so, oh, by the way, so if people have the steakhouse booked before September 20th, like their reservations already, will Carnival honor, honor that?
3: That's what they're saying. Okay. I mean, and and that to me says, if you have a cruise coming up, no matter when it is, and you're thinking about you know doing the steakhouse, book it now because if you book it before the price change goes into effect, then you know you're grandfathered in. So get that get that reservation.
1: Norwegian Cruise Line revealed some artwork. Now it's kind of hard to show it to the audience unless I go to the website at cruiseradio.net. But uh, talk to us about this whole artwork revealed today.
3: Well the artist is named Eduardo Aranz Bravo and you know i'm my my spanish is not very good so i'm pretty sure that i didn't even come close on that but he's pretty well known the hull is Really, probably one of the brightest I've ever seen Norwegian do. It looks—it sort of reminds me of an Aida Hud a hull in some ways, in that you know they have that same kind of very distinctive, very bright look to it. This is very abstract, very modern. It's a lot different than the Bliss or the Escape, um, which are a little more muted. It's closer in tone, probably to the Breakaway, which has the the New York City skyline and a bright red or a bright yellow sun and all that. But uh, it's 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 pretty sharp looking. It'll be interesting to see uh, when the ship comes out November 2019.
1: So here we go again. Nassau is back at it. It looks like they're developing another plan to get passengers off the ship and spending some money in the city.
3: Yeah, I think over the last few years, Nassau has really gotten a reputation as being sort of a, you know, been there, done that that a lot of people decide to just stay on the ship. And, of course, if people stay on the ship, then Nassau doesn't make any money. There's been a lot of talk over the last year or two of ways to fix the port. The latest plan um, involves a couple things. One is they have pointed out that the walk from where your ship docks at the pier to actually the center of town is Incredibly long, so they 're talking about possibly putting like a tram system in that would run people back and forth, which would be awesome. The other thing is if you 've been to Nassau and you you know your first encounter with the area is not the most pleasant thing that 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 quote unquote welcome center is sort of overrun with cheap shops and and you know people begging you for money and trying to get you to take their taxi cab and stuff they really want to improve it so that your your first impression has more to do with the beautiful waterfront leads you more toward Bay Street and the rest of downtown Nassau they really want to sort of improve the experience overall so that people start coming back and being want and and actually want to go to the Bahamas and spend money
1: Nassau seems like a they have like a plan every other week. It seems like they're a little bit of a mess.
3: They're a little bit of a mess, and we hear this a lot. I mean, a year or so ago, there was another plan that was uh, sort of being talked about, and you know, even at this stage, they they talk a good game. And they've put together plans and things, but none of this has been sanctioned. None of mm-hmm. it has been, you know, they, they haven't even really done a study with the cruise lines. That's still coming. So it's it's not like we're going to see this change anytime soon. Even if it was approved tomorrow, it would probably take, you know, a good year before they could implement something as big as they're talking about. And yeah. again, that's a big if.
1: I know, but they need to get their act together because, I mean, you have like Royal Caribbean build, you know, that whole perfect they had Coco Cay build out where it's going to be pulling people that aren't going to the Atlantis and aren't spending their money there and saving their money for Coco Cay, right?
3: And that's – yeah, that's one of the reasons that Nassau is so concerned about this because they recognize that the various private islands are very popular. And, of course, the cruise lines love having the private islands because that's money yeah. that, that 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 cruisers are spending on their island. So they get the money instead of people going to Nassau. It is, it is a big problem and it's something that Nassau really recognizes. One of the studies that they did said that – and it seemed to be based on not much, but they indicated that if there weren't significant – significant changes made within the next five years, they could expect to see as much as 5% drop off every year. And when, when you make a lot of your money off of tourism, a 5 to 10% drop off every year is is a huge amount of money
1: for sure. Listener question comes from Ralph. He says, I'm sailing Carnival this fall for the first time. Is the drink package worth it? Not a huge drinker, but the specialty coffee and waters seem to be a
3: plus because you're traveling on Carnival. I would say yes. If you were asking that same question about Norwegian, I would probably say no, because theirs is so much more expensive. But the Carnival package runs, you know, around 50 something a day plus plus the 15 percent gratuity. And it doesn't just cover alcohol, like you mentioned. It covers, you know, energy drinks and coffees and milkshakes, and it's it's a really good bargain. I mean, if you think about it, assume that all everything you were drinking was, say, ten bucks. Even if you only had three drinks over the course of a day, that would be thirty bucks right there. Then you throw in any milkshakes and coffees and other things that that are covered by the package, and it's a it's a really good deal.
1: Yeah, I mean, espressos are like three or four bucks a shot, bottled waters can be like three, four, or five, depending on what size you want to go. Also with the cheers package, you could also get, you know, instead of drinking the tap water in the dining room, you can get a bottled waters there as well. So I, I I personally think now I will say I have yet to purchase the Cheers package, but I'm probably going to do it next month on a
3: three-night sailing I'm doing just to test it out. And I'm exactly the opposite. I have never, of all of my cruises, I have never gone on a cruise without the drink package. It Mm. just, it's. I I like having my expenses planned as much as possible. And by paying for the drink package up front, you're not going to get hit with a bill at the end of the week for whatever you've drunk.
1: Thanks for stopping by today, Richard. I appreciate it. Always a
3: pleasure. Thanks a lot.
1: Joining us now is ABC Action News meteorologist Greg D to answer a couple of hurricane-related questions for us. The first question I have, Greg, is um, how difficult is it to forecast a hurricane in the Atlantic Ocean?
0: Well, the forecasts, uh, though they are getting better, are still extremely difficult. And one of the reasons is, well, we have very little data. There are no reporting stations out there in the middle of the ocean. So we don't really start to get a good grip on the storm's path until we start sending aircraft to it. That is still limited by rain, so we have to wait until a hurricane gets closer to the United States or the islands before we can actually start to figure out what's going on and where that storm is going to go. So, Greg, obviously
1: the ships stay far away from these storms, but, I mean, how big can the seas get around a hurricane?
0: Seas around a storm can get very high. In fact, a three or four category hurricane could easily produce 30-foot waves right near the center. Now, even 100 or 150 miles away from the center, you could still get 10 to 20-foot seas. And even beyond that, two 300 miles from the storm, seas could be up to 5 to 10 feet. In those areas... 300 miles away from the storm, you would be in sunshine. You would not even know the storm is nearby. That's how far those waves extend. What advice would you offer cruisers booking a sailing during hurricane season? Two things here, Doug. I think number one, when you're planning a cruise in September, think more about the ship instead of the actual ports and be prepared that some of those ports may not happen. You may be spending more time on the ship, so maybe spend a little bit more time in choosing a ship that you'd actually want to be on for a couple of extra sea days if that ship needs to be diverted. The second thing I would tell you is some sort of travel insurance. Remember, it's not just a cruise. It's your drive or your flight there that may be impacted by a storm. In fact. The storm may not be impacting your cruise, but the trip to get there and having some kind of backup plan or a way to recover your losses is always a good idea.
1: Very sound advice. ABC Action News meteorologist Greg D. Greg, thanks for stopping by.
2: On this September 11th, Cruise Radio remembers those lives lost. The heroes on that day and the men and women of the United States military who protect us every day.
1: Where were you when the world stopped turning
4: on that September day?
0: When is your next cruise? Where are you going? And what are you going to do once you get there? Market-leading specialist CruisingExcursions.com offers savings up to 60% offshore excursions versus cruise line prices. Whether it's private, shared, scenic, historic, or family tours, CruisingExcursions.com has up to 12,000 excursions in over 700 ports worldwide, like Rome... Vatican City, St. Petersburg, Sydney, and Jamaica, just to name a few. You can even bundle your excursions for more savings. Make your next vacation affordable and unforgettable by visiting cruisingexcursions.com.
2: If you have an Amazon Alexa-enabled device, ask
0: her to enable the
2: Cruise Radio News Skill so you can get daily updates anytime. Straight from Cruise
1: Radio. Billy is here to share his review of a seven-night Eastern Caribbean cruise on MSC Seaside. Hey, Billy. Hey there, Doug. So uh, excited to hear about MSC Seaside. It's been about six months or so since we've um, had a review of the ship, and I'm curious to kind of get a progress check on it. So uh, before we get to the ship itself, give us some pre-cruise thoughts. I know you're down there in South Florida, but what, uh, what made you pick this seven-night on MSC Seaside?
4: You know, we've been looking at MSC for a while just because uh, I, I cruise with my wife a lot of cruise lines, and MSC was something that we'd heard about, we knew of it, but uh We'd heard wildly different reviews and experiences, and wanted to ch- kind of check it out for ourselves. Plus, we had this weird window of time, just the way life happens. And we said we need to go on a cruise this week. <laughs> and uh, and MSC had a, just a, a fantastic deal um, by by any metric. So uh, so we pulled the trigger on it. It's a it's a very polarizing cruise line, right? I mean, you
1: read things, and it's either they really like it or they really don't like it. It's not you don't really read much in
4: between. No, that, that's absolutely right. And and in fact, use the word polarizing. I use that to describe MSC all the time, even before I sailed them, because uh, it, it's kind of odd. And I, I over the course of our, our trip, I picked up on some of the things that maybe could be polarizing. But, I will say uh you know to at risk of um <laughs> ruining the the surprise ending here, I'm not quite sure why people have such incredibly strong feelings uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah we we wanted to understand that for ourselves, yeah, very good. so you
1: make your way to Port Miami. How was your embarkation process?
4: So we're accustomed to sailing out of uh, port Miami and, and Port Everglades pretty frequently, and You know, I know that there are certain parts of it that can vary just sailing to sailing. Uh, I did feel like the embarkation process, the part of that process that MSC owned, because, you know, some of it's the porters and security and stuff like that, that part it, it was a little bit slow, to be honest with you. It was about an hour from uh, from stepping uh, out of an Uber mm-hmm. to getting on board the ship, and most of that time was just waiting in a line to check in. Once we got to the person to check in, it was they were very quick, friendly, efficient. Everything there was great. Um, one thing that I noticed, and I, I shared this with them, they could easily— cut the uh the wait times if they'd give you an area to uh, or a path to skip the photographer when you're boarding because yeah. not everyone wants that initial photograph we don't and uh and there was no way to skip that which you know i mean you could decline that was fine but you couldn't go around it so there was some waiting just because of that but no hiccups during the process again about an hour uh could have been uh, could have been better at that part uh in, in that way you make your way on board seaside what were your first impressions We'd seen pictures. Pictures just don't do things justice in a a good or bad way. And and we were immediately impressed with the design and decor of the ship. It wasn't, I guess, to be honest, I I was a little worried that it might be kind of gaudy almost. You know, you see the the crystal staircases and stuff like that. And I'm personally not a huge fan of when I see the very Vegas-like look to ships. You know, everyone's different. And we were pleasantly surprised. Very, very modern. Clearly, a lot of European styling cues. However, a lot of those styles have become more popular in North America as well. So it's perhaps not as contrasting as it might have been just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Beautiful ship. Not uh, not too bad getting around. You know, embarkation day on, uh, on any larger ship can be just a little bit tight, getting through hallways and stuff. Had to wait for an elevator for quite a while, but nothing out of the ordinary and actually um, – Uh, We found that the embarkation day crowds were maybe a little bit uh, better than some ships of similar size.
1: When you made your way
4: on board the ship, could you go right to your stateroom or did you have to wait? Uh, You know, we – golly, I I think we, we didn't try right away to head to the stateroom, uh, cause we kind of walked around the ship. We didn't bring too much on board with us. So it's not like we're, uh, you know, those people that you see waiting for the room to open because they've got seven suitcases uh-huh. for three people. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I think we tried about an hour after arriving, which was our boarding, which was around 11 o'clock and we we're able to get right to our rooms. Now, uh, embarkation, the whole process kind of shifts a little bit later, on Seaside, because many passengers, uh, I presume at least, many passengers are coming from Europe, have uh, have flights that could potentially be delayed. So she actually doesn't generally sail until 7. Mm-hmm. So the whole process starts a little bit later, and I think that uh, that may make it just a bit easier for guest services and for housekeeping, things like that, to turn things around.
1: Yeah, for sure. So you make your way to your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you book, and what did you think of it?
4: So we booked uh, an Ocean View guarantee. And I'm big on guarantees. I'm not, uh, I don't have strong feelings about staterooms. It's, it's nice when you have a veranda. It's really nice when you have a suite, but it all depends on the price point mm-hmm. uh, for me and where we're sailing. However, uh, for one of the first times out of scores of cruises, we actually uh, found that we were given a uh, a veranda. And uh, it was well-appointed, well-laid out. Um, I, I don't really have um, any complaints about the layout of the stateroom. I heard a lot of people saying that the the showers were kind of an odd shape and that they would hit one elbow while washing their hair. Uh, a little bit of a different shape. I didn't run into that problem. Maybe I just have uh, shorter arms. But uh, <laughs> overall, loved the stateroom. It was very comfortable. Uh, balcony was a nice size. I always like to test that out because that can vary a lot ship to ship. Um, The one thing I will say, if you are looking to book a veranda on seaside, look at the deck plans because depending on where on the ship your veranda is and also what deck you're on, you may be looking down onto some of the longer balconies that stick out as well as the kind of promenade Mm -hmm. area. And we were on a relatively low deck. I can't remember the number at the moment. So if, if you walked right out to the balcony, you looked down onto somebody else's balcony and you could see okay. people strolling along. However, once you took two or three steps back, it wasn't bad. So it wasn't as if it was a privacy um, issue for us. If you were just standing out on the balcony, unless you were right up against the railing, Really, non-issue. However, it is something to be aware of. It's not quite as much of an issue, or, or maybe at all, if you're midship because there is less of the ship sticking out past the the balconies below you. If that makes any sense?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's transition here to dining. Um, let's talk about. We'll start at the buffet because that's one of the things that people either really like or really dislike. So, what did you think?
4: As far as quality of the food, we found the quality of the food in the buffet to be excellent. Now. Full disclosure, uh, we're, we're both vegetarian. I will occasionally uh, have sushi or, or something. And I think I actually tried a piece of fish while, we were, uh, while we we're on. But qu- overall, quality of the food was excellent. The, the fruits and vegetables, like the fresh uncooked stuff, very, very fresh. And, you know, the variety is what I hear a lot of people complain about on Seaside. I, I suspect that they've improved on that because while there were certain things that I went, yeah, that's kind of weird. For example, the there's an ethnic food section mm-hmm. and it uh, it consistently had something sort of kind of Mexican food. Um, <laughs> there there wasn't much change in that. There, there were just one, uh, for one or two meals and that was welcome. Uh, and I thought that was kind of. Unusual. However, uh, I think another thing that maybe throws people with the variety, especially at the larger of the two buffet venues on Seaside, uh, Biscayne Bay, Mm -hmm. is on many ships, when you enter a buffet area, after you've passed a couple of the stations, you can bet that the other stations have the same stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. However, and and we thought that the first day, too, I did a full lap and I realized just randomly there would be a station or two uh, or maybe even three that had items— that were not found anywhere else. Huh. So, you know, one, I think they've they've improved on, on the the variety in the buffet. From what I can tell just from hearing other people, uh, we were certainly happy with the variety. But two, make sure you do a full lap to find all your options.
1: That's good advice. How about the main dining room? What
4: time dining did you have? Uh, so we initially, we'd requested um, second seating, and, and we booked kind of late. Uh, kind of, you know, just a a few weeks before the sailing and ended up getting first seating. I don't love that. Um, We strongly prefer to eat late. And I went to ask if we could be waitlisted or anything like that. And it's almost like when you need to change an airline ticket, you just see someone furiously typing away at a keyboard, looking at a screen, you know, Uh cocking their head, typing. in, (laughs) And uh, and then they were nice enough to uh, accommodate us with, um, uh, I believe they call it, Anytime dining. It's interesting. They actually have kind of two different varieties of that, whether you're a yacht club or not. Similar but different. So we got the non-yacht club variant. But it still meant we were able to uh, just go whenever we wanted and uh, and eat. Being that it was just two of us, I think the longest we waited for a table was maybe a minute. Oh, wow.
1: That's, that's excellent. How about specialty dining? Do you do any specialty restaurants on board?
4: So we only did one. And honestly, I wish we would have tried more. But there was a... You know, you never do as much as you want on on just a seven night cruise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we did the teppanyaki restaurant. Mm -hmm. It was good. You know, I, I enjoyed my meal. I, maybe I'm just hard to impress when it comes to teppanyaki restaurants. I, I find okay, we, we get it. You're going to use a ton of uh, butter, and we're going to have fried <laughs> rice and and some other uh, things. It was good. Right. Um, didn't blow me away. I didn't. Uh, I didn't find it particularly special. Uh, the the service. Uh, the the people there were extremely nice, and it was a a pleasant environment, very uh, aesthetically pleasing venue as well. But I'd probably, I'll definitely try. Uh, additional specialty venues on MSC. However, I don't think I would go back there, not because it wasn't good, just because it wasn't that impressive.
1: Yeah, okay, fair enough. On this seven-night sailing, what did you think of the entertainment?
4: I'll tell you, entertainment blew me away. I I can't, I don't think I've ever been so excited about cruise ship entertainment as after the first show that we saw on board, the the first, you know, um, headliner, main production show, rather. Wow, why is that? Listen, I like Broadway, and I, I appreciate these mashups that are, are very common on North American focus lines. They're fun. I don't go to them frequently because I feel like after a while, you're going to eh, have seen one, seen them all. They're fun though. What MSC did for their main shows was the theming. I'll admit was loose at best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, the quality of the performers was outstanding, whether they were acrobats or jugglers or just really uh, incredible dancers. They were the the quality of the talent was not. Man, eh, we need people that can sing and dance and kind of do it all. These people were sought out, and I I'd be willing to to bet at Hayes Bay that MSC does a lot more work and probably pays a lot more to get uh, some of these entertainers on board than other lines do. They were very impressive. And then you wrap all of that, and you say, well, if you just have someone come out and do do these really interesting out-there acts, does that get kind of boring? Well, you wrap it in costuming that is, I will admit, bizarre, but really cool, neat lighting, and the fact that their shows are only about 40, 45 minutes, which I think is a great length, leaves you just wanting more, um, I know sometimes I see shows on ships and I go, listen, this may be entertaining, but I'm on a cruise. I have a lot of things I want to go do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, by the end, I'm pretty, pretty ready for it to be over. That wasn't the case at all. I couldn't wait to see the next show the next night. Um, so I, I will say I've been on scores of cruises, dozens of cruise lines, the best main stage entertainment I've seen at sea.
1: Very good. How about around the ship? Um, like public spaces
4: and music around the ship uh, during the evening. So, it varied a lot. They had a a real wide variety of the type of things. Um, one one thing that was interesting and, uh, is in the same venue, like in the atrium area, you'd sometimes have a DJ doing, um, doing sets. that I guess it was neat ambient music, not, not what I would usually turn on, you know, (laughs) on my MP3 player or whatever, but it, uh, but it was neat. Um, and then you'd have, you know, an hour later, a, a pianist in the, the atrium, something like that. There was a group that I, I do want to mention by name. They were the Bourbon Quartet and they were in the, I believe it's the View Lounge every evening. And these guys were really great. They did a lot of, um, standards, jazz standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'd take requests. They were real friendly to interact with and just quality, quality performers. They were fantastic. There was another band and, and I apologize. They were, they were entertaining and I just forgot the, the name of the other one that, that did kind of the, the party circuit on board. Okay. So there was a, a certain venue they were in frequently, but you could find wherever the party was. That's where these guys were. And, um, Often the music wasn't what I would have turned on for them, but I'll tell you, they, they absolutely had the crowds going and they knew how to work that. Uh, so, uh, so that was, that was cool. There, there was also, there were guitarists, there was, there was a real wide variety, um, more so than on some other ships I've been on where maybe, oh, there's this really great great string quartet or this, you know, this really great, uh, acoustic guitarist. But you know, other than that, it's the house band. There was a a nice variety and, and we enjoyed that. That's,
1: I mean, you know, I guess, yeah, the, it doesn't have to be your kind of music, but if the band's good and gets the and gets
4: the crowd going at the end of the day, that's all that really matters, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I frankly, when I'm on a cruise, I like seeing that other people are enjoying mm-hmm. something. So like I said, the, the, the band that did a, the, the party circuit wasn't my thing, but I was like, that's great. People are having a good time. I'm, I'm really glad. And because they offer such a variety I had plenty. Of it. I mean, we were loving the, the bourbon quartet over in Seaview each night. Yeah. So we were perfectly content to sit down with a glass of scotch and, and enjoy their, uh, their, their music.
1: Now, on this seven-night Eastern Caribbean cruise, you had a couple of sea days. So how was the ship on them sea days as far as crowds and congestion?
4: So uh, first, I will say that it handled sea days really well. I better than I expected, given her size and passenger capacity, I often crunch the numbers and look at how many square feet per passenger and how many crew members per passenger and things like Mm -hmm. that for a given ship. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised. uh, Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of people on the ship and and you saw them out and about. But it was never an impediment to uh, getting a drink uh, very quickly, I might add, uh, or getting a. uh, getting something to eat, seeing a show. And one, one big way that a lot of people judge these things, while I don't tend to lay out in the sun very much, I live in South Florida. The sun is more an aversion than a novelty at this point in my life. (laughs) Um, the finding a deck chair can be tricky on, on some of these larger ships. What was interesting about the seaside is she's really true to her name, the, the ship. Um, Every place you go on that ship, there's a beautiful view of the ocean inside and out. Uh, That's true of the dining venues uh, and the lounges. And they have sort of outdoor components to a lot of the venues that are otherwise indoor, much like you see on uh, on Norwegian Escape, for example, with I forgot what they call that that promenade there. But uh, but I really like that. And what that did is on sea days, it made it. So that if you were looking for a place to enjoy the sun or just to to sit outside and relax, listen, at peak time on a sea day, you might not find that space exactly where you wanted right by the pool, mm-hmm. one of the pools. However, there was absolutely a, an abundance of lounge chairs, uh, comfortable lounge chairs, I might add, uh, of you know, just regular, uh, chairs with tables and things like that, both in the sun and in the shade. So the design of the ship meant that even, even on a sea day, uh, yeah, maybe tricky right next to the pool, but no one was really doing that, that walk where you kind of, I can't believe I can't find a place in the sun or I, right. I can't believe I can't find a place out of the sun. That was a non-issue. And, and that was uh, that was very cool. I think the, the kind of leap that they made, uh, that they took rather in the design of the ship paid off in that way.
1: So on this seven-night sailing, you hit San Juan, St. Martin, and Nassau, Bahamas. So give us a highlight from each port.
4: So we um, we were actually scheduled to do the Eastern Caribbean um, earlier in the year and had to unfortunately cancel. And it would have been our first time back since um, since the, the hurricanes last year. And we we're real interested to see how that affected things. Uh, St. Martin, first up, we got there and... It is, uh, we enjoyed both sides of the island. We just kind of went at it on our own. We we hired a, a car in the morning to take us to Margot over on the French side. Mm-hmm. And the, we ended up sharing that car with some other people that actually live maybe a few miles from us, just wow. by dumb coincidence. We met them at the cab. And uh, we we got to Margot. And it, the, the one thing that was a little disappointing was a lot of the, the little bakeries, the patisseries, that you might be able to grab breakfast at or enjoy coffee at a lot of those had not reopened since the storms however there were plenty of other parts that were and in fact if you find yourself over by the open air market in Margot, there's maybe a half not even a half mile away a third of a mile away there is kind of a a mall and a lot of locals go there and there were there were some coffee shops bakeries things like that there you know That side of the island definitely was not recovering as quickly as the Dutch side of the island. Mm -hmm. I say that and I was a little apprehensive to say that on the show because I don't want people to not go there because one, people need to go there. That's how these places recover. And two, there's still a lot of beauty on that side of the island and plenty of places that are open, plenty of places that will treat you right and offer you a great time. Uh, It just maybe uh, doesn't seem so on the surface. So like I said, when we got back to the, the Dutch side of the island, things there were in, in better shape overall, still still some things that you noticed, uh, but just walked along the beach there, went into a chocolate shop run by a uh, a woman from uh, Bulgaria, I believe. but uh, fantastic chocolates right over there by the beach. Not, not what everyone thinks of when they think of beach snacks, but I'm a <laughs> yeah. chocolate person. And uh, we strolled around, we went into a Mexican joint, watched uh, watched some of the World cup and uh, and had some beers. And, uh, and that, that kind of wrapped the day for us. We just wanted to explore the city. And in fact, uh, I should mention my, my wife hadn't been to St. Martin in general. So I wanted to make sure that she got, you know, just a sampling. Yeah. Uh, so that was St. Martin. San Juan, we, uh, we knew— we had a, a sort of plan in San Juan, and I recommend this in general, whether it's your first time there or your fiftieth time, unless you have, you know, one particular thing that you want to see, is start up at the fort uh, at El Moro. There are several forts, so you should specify El Moro because one, it's a beautiful, beautiful site. You, you get beautiful views of the island. It's a neat historic site. It's a national park. I always try and hit national parks anytime I travel, and they're uh, they're available. And if you start there, then you can walk through the rest of the old city downhill, <laughs> which is the right way to do it. And so walking through the old city, we stopped at uh, Baracino and had a, had some ofongo uh, and some drinks. And that was a great stop and just explored and then hit another national park, actually another fort down by the, the pier. Um, overall, the, the, the old part of the city Seems to be pretty well recovered. There are certain things. But but the old part of the city seems in good shape, uh, not to detract from, you know, where I'm sure there are, there are some other uh, challenges. But but really love going to San Juan. It's been a while for me and, and enjoyed that a lot. Um, in Nassau, um, I did what I recommend most people don't do in Nassau. <laughs> um, and we actually stayed on board. I, I'm always a little bit disappointed when I hear people say that they stayed on board in Nassau because I think it has... The town has an unfair reputation as not having much to do for for cruise guests. I, I think there's a ton to do there. Um, I, however, have one done it a, a lot, <laughs> and two had an opportunity and an appointment to explore the yacht club on that particular day. So uh, for for those reasons combined, we ended up staying on board. But but uh, you know, don't do what I did. There there are, there are some great things to see there. You know, you've got the Pirate republic Brewing. You've got uh, a distillery. You, you can there are a number of uh, resorts that you can enjoy their beaches or just go over to John Canoe. So don't be like Billy exploring Nassau, but, uh, but we stayed on board that particular day.
1: Do as I say, not as I do.
4: Absolutely. Yes.
1: Very good. You make your way back to Port Miami. How was your debark process?
4: So debarkation was, uh, was actually pretty smooth. Um, I, I really have no, uh, no complaints there at all. Um, they, they did, one thing that, and, and Doug, maybe you tell me, maybe other cruise lines have done this. Maybe every cruise line does this, and somehow I just didn't notice. But, you know, you get your, your luggage tags the, the night before, mm-hmm. and you got to remember what number, color, letter, uh-huh. animal in the case of DCL, whatever the the case may be. And I'll I'll admit, I forgot before. Uh, it's happened, I think, twice. That I get off the ship in the morning, and I go, "Well, my bags are there somewhere." Or they start calling numbers, and I says, "Oh, what number are we?" And I go, I, "I'm not. I'm not sure." <laughs> um, so MSC does something that I thought uh, was excellent, and I'm actually looking at it here on my desk as I talk to you. There's a part of the uh, the adhesive luggage tag that they give you that they give you specific instructions to put on the back of your uh, your your room key, your key card. Mm-hmm and it has it's the the color the number and then also has a unique number to that exact tag to match it with the exact uh, bag that you took that sticker off of and i thought that was a great thing so the debark process they were ahead of schedule you know they'll they'll tell you which things are called when uh gave us plenty of time to have breakfast we opted to have breakfast uh not in the main dining room for uh for the final morning uh just cuz it it's a little i feel It 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 can be hectic with people bringing bags and stuff. Totally, yeah. And uh, we were able to get off ahead of schedule. Um, You know, the process once you step off the ship is largely controlled by the 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 port authority and and customs. But that was pretty smooth. There was not this time around a global entry line. They had a sign for it, but uh, they weren't using it. So we waited. I don't know, maybe. 20 30 minutes for customs but uh, yeah that, that's not the worst thing in the world does MSC make you fill out the blue custom forms still I did not notice that they did okay like I said, uh, we have global entry so I don't oh, generally okay. fill sense. them out anyway okay. but I, I don't believe so I, I don't recall other people having them
1: okay very good that's actually really smart what they do with that luggage tag system because that's just like the airlines right with the bags the bag claim.
4: Yeah, the, you know, a- airlines will, they'll give you something when you, you have like a receipt. Some of them, it's part of the sticker, some of it's mm-hmm. a little card. But I had never seen a cruise line do that. And it, it's almost like going to Disney World and forget, forgetting where you parked. You right. just don't want to be in that situation. <laughs> in the- <laughs> you, you never want to be at that, in that situation. And when you find yourself in that situation, it is absolutely at the wrong time. Yeah, like You when are it's raining. not having it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it it was a fantastic idea. I don't know why everyone doesn't do that.
1: Any first time tips you have to offer, folks sailing MSC Seaside?
4: Uh, yeah, keep the balcony thing in mind as far as location. Wasn't mm-hmm. an issue for us, but I know you know people have strong opinions on those things. Do a full circle in the buffet in the Biscayne Bay buffet, which is larger than the uh, the other buffet venue, and try everything because man, the variety is 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 nuts. The the variety of entertainment, um, the the variety of, of different dining options. So try everything, and uh, you know no cruise line no ship is for everyone but uh, our experience led me to believe that most people will find uh, something or a few some things that they love about this ship
1: and in closing here final thoughts of MSC seaside
4: can't wait to do it again really um you know there are we take different cruises for different reasons, you know, whether we're just trying to relax or or going with friends. I think MSC was a nice middle ground and the price point right now is fantastic. So, yeah, we're looking forward to doing it again. Great ship, friendly crew, you know, there were a few bumps in the road that I talked about, but it was it was a great experience. We've
1: been talking with Billy. He, hey, Bill, you actually live blogged through this whole 7-night sailing at cruisehabit.com?
4: Yeah, so so that's my my site cruisehabit.com. I, I talk uh, talk ship. I write about history and, and, uh, and sometimes news, other things like that. But I have a live blog that I kept. So every, at the end of every single day, I wrote about what we did, included a ton of pictures. Um, so, so check that out if you want to see, see photos and more. Uh, if, if you're not sick of my description yet, you can, <laughs> you can find more there. Billy, it was great talking to you, my friend. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you very much, Doug. A big question we get at Cruise
1: Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance?
2: Let's see what we've got for you. Cruise Radio is produced weekly in Jacksonville, Florida. For partnership opportunities, email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Hear Cruise Radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Radio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Google
0: Play, or at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer!